Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 41, The Last Face from 2016. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today to reprise his role, he was on our episode for the near masterpiece, The Yards. The Yards. The Yards. He was also on our episode. I'm trying to bring up. What oh, other episodes oh, were you on? Well, I'd just like to quickly state that, you know, The Yards, I'm officially declaring a masterpiece. Yes. For Watch wow. The just because of what's come since. I mean, <laughs> for God, I need The Yards wherever you are right now. <laughs> oh, Zach was all... Oh, I just spoiled who it was, but he was also on our Italian job episode. Oh, yes. hey. He was also on our Sleepwalking episode, Sleepwalking. a movie that I oh, forgot existed. Wait, which one Mercifully. was Mercifully. It's the one where she bangs her brother, or she bangs a dude oh, in her brother's <laughs> apartment yeah, and, and then leaves off. the movie right yeah. with um and ed harris and a horse oh gee oh no at the end wasn't it with dennis hopper gets killed was it dennis hopper or was it ed harris uh, I, I, I honestly i, I honestly care. could not tell you if you <laughs> offered me money right now i could not tell you what that what happened in that movie yeah with us today to talk about what might be the worst Charlize theron movie i have it last on my list of 40 right now on letterboxd wow. it is it's just so long. It's so long. It's not that long. It just feels long. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's true. It's Zach Lazan. Hello, Zach. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> best, I'm ruining I ruin interest. It's just what I do. If I remember correctly, you were on... Because basically, when I first assigned Watch the Throne episodes, I didn't give anybody more than three. Because I was like, this is a new thing. You know, instead of like Cage Club or Keanu Club, which is like, however many you want to be on, we'll be on. I started to sort of like, you know divvy up the wealth, especially since Charlize had fewer movies than Cage or Keanu. <laughs> the wealth. <laughs> and I was like, okay, three. And so you were on The Yards, which we came around, we, we loved by the end. Then you were on two bad ones in a row, and I feel like while we were recording Sleepwalking, we're like, okay, we've got to redeem this. There's a couple <laughs> movies that are left that don't have a guest, and you want to pick one. You said sure. Most of them were ones that we had heard of you know, Mike and I a couple episodes ago did The Huntsman Winter's War, which we knew what that was. You're like, I'm good. But we're like, The Last <laughs> Face, a movie we did no research on. Don't know what it is. Recent movie. Let's go for it. Here's a little bit of trivia. So on Metacritic, a site that, not like Rotten Tomatoes that says whether a movie's good or bad, a, a site that averages the ranking or the rating of movies. So like a 100, like a perfect score, and like an 80 out of 100 will average to a 90. It won't just be like two fresh scores. It'll actually be like a more reflective thing. There are 11,463, 11463 movies on Metacritic. In last place, the blockbuster hit of the summer, Death of a Nation, Metacritic score of one, okay? Wow, okay. The last face, remember, 11,463 total, Last place, 11,357. The last face has an average score on Metacritic of 16. Whoa. The worst movie, I believe, that we've covered for this podcast, and perhaps for any podcast on our network. <laughs> quite, quite possibly. <laughs> this movie is officially real bad. So guys over there, take a crack at it. I, I kind of dare you. It's funny. It's not that old, but it's kind of legendary already. Like, I had heard about this movie. Oh, I, I, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm just looking at the list right now. Left Behind has a score of 12. Left Behind is a worse movie. Oh, but it's a better movie. <laughs> I would rather rewatch that than this, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But go ahead. You heard about this. You had heard about this movie. So, well, I didn't know it was this movie. I didn't know Charlize was in it, but I had heard about a movie that Sean Penn made 
that was at the festivals a few years ago and basically was just getting laughed out of theaters left and right. Like people just couldn't <laughs> believe what they were watching. And I was like, this is impossible. Like there's no way, you know, Sean Penn, Sean Penn, like could make a movie that bad. Like it has to be watchable, right? And here it is. I can't believe that oh, we are covering it on our network, like that this is the movie that it popped up. Like I didn't know until we started watching it that this was that movie, you know? And I it's kind of just like lost my mind early on and could never really get into this thing. Like it is I was rough. ready to give it a good a good go. I was really I was really wanted it to be good. I was ready because like Metacritic, yeah, sure, fifteen percent of Metacritic, but uh, the users gave it a good seventy, which says a lot. It sucks that this movie sucks because it's it could be important and like it could be good. It could be saying something important, but like it's just completely overshadowed with the love story, which I just could not believe like he would do to an right. issue like this. Like it just felt disrespectful to be quite honest and i could never get over that oh my god yeah i wrote the word i take notes during this and uh, six of my notes were just the word jesus (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember exactly what they're about but yeah this is a movie in which charlize and javier bardem are gorgeous affluent people who go around the world as white saviors essentially yeah tending to war-torn countries And in the middle of this movie, they fall in love, and maybe, possibly, Javier Bardem has an affair or a relationship with Charlize's cousin, played by Adele Exarchopoulos. I don't know how you pronounce that, but the girl from Blue is the Warmest Color, and also, I think, maybe from Nymphomaniac? Was it while they were seeing each other? I got the feeling it was, like, before they had seen each other. I was mentally checked out (laughs) from before the jump in this movie. This is a movie that, like, I want to be upfront and honest— I did not give this movie a fair shake. Not that it necessarily deserves it, but I had seen its Metacritic score. I saw its Letterbox review or Letterbox score, which is a 1.8 out of 5, which is wildly difficult to get below a 2. Like, we've covered a lot of <laughs> bad movies, and like they they usually yeah. hover in like the 2 to 2.3 range. Like, it's hard, I think, to get below a 2 on Letterboxd. And not only is yeah. this below 2, but it's not even like a 1.9, it's like a 1.8. Like, it's comfortably below 2. <laughs> I'd rather you know watch I mean? Battle Because, like, wait, Seattle. 1 is the lowest number, right? That's yeah, because not... you can't be below 1. All right, so that's pretty damn low. I mean, if I'd rather rewatch Battle in Seattle, we got a problem. <laughs> yes. And as we know from Mr. Show, 24 is the highest number. Just, you know, 1 is the lowest. <laughs> 24 is the highest. But I knew these things about this movie from before I watched it, so I didn't Go Like, if I had known nothing, I would have been like, okay, this is, like, an interesting movie. Like, one of my first notes, Mike, is I wrote down, like, I'm Mike Mans right now. At least this movie looks good, because there are (laughs) shots in this movie. Like, it looks nice. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it is just nonsense very quickly. And I was able to see through the nonsense, because I knew that, like, this movie starts in, like, a good place, I guess, and then only goes downhill. Or, like, doesn't start in the worst place, but then only goes downhill from there. So Sort of kind of poetic-looking. I I will say, as a photographer, I have to chime in and say, it looks good on its surface, but it employs a lot of very questionable cinematographical elements. Hmm. Uh, It relies very heavily on the Dutch angle, a.k.a. uh, just a diagonal composition, uh, where the camera is tilted needlessly. It relies on uh, smash zooms, uh, a surprising amount. And it loves the tilt-shift lens, which throws things randomly out of focus uh, in a very distracting way. Yeah. And those all drove me crazy. Yeah, I, I just wish that Sean Penn tried to tell this straightforward. It's it's all pretty much out of order, needlessly out of order, too, I oh, felt. God. While there's like nice shots and stuff, none of it ever feels like it's connected like i never get a real sense of like a scene 
per se. Like maybe once when um, I, I will say like even though it's very hokey when they're delivering the baby in the woods. Like at least okay. Like I understand like what's going <laughs> hold on. on. Hold on, wait, wait. Let, let's just take a break there. Let's, let's take a moment <laughs> to just analyze that sentence. When they're delivering a baby in the woods, this is is this the uh, midnight C-section, like the emergency C-section? Yeah. In the middle of the yeah, night okay. when they were when they were stood up. But, uh, I mean, Slash machete when were, suture. When they were held up, yeah, uh, by mach- at machete point and stuff. It feels like this needs to be a more advanced filmmaker. Like, Terrence Malick shoots like this and makes it work, you know? Or Oliver Stone can do stuff like this. But, like, Sean Penn, like, what else have you really done to show that you can make a tone poem with a point and coherence uh, to any degree? Because it's not working. Like, I'm just very surprised. Uh, it just feels like I'm sitting here going, like, the audacity of Sean Penn to think that like he could tackle this or like do something like this and then that he would overshadow the actual issue with this stupid ass love story thing that I can't even follow like the hard thing is that it seems like he's trying to overshadow this love thing that's what I'm but it can't that's what I'm saying yeah because like (laughs) I don't really look like I'll be honest like I'm not the most up-to-date on world issues and stuff but like I'm aware of what's like going on in South Africa and all that stuff like it's not just District 9 for me you know what I'm saying like I've know a little more about it than that and so like i was really down with a movie that was gonna explore that not exploit that and so that's what i was just like yeah i went into it prejudging it but like ultimately i feel like i judged it correctly because it's just i feel like it just misses the point well i'm looking at sean penn's imdb right now he's directed uh four feature films before this i believe how many were madonna in no just that's more guy Ritchie, but they were married that's not what i knew him from 1991 he wrote and directed the indian runner which has a seven point one on IMDb. There's no Metacritic on there, so that's pretty good. Crossing Guard in 95, oh, 6.3. With um, Metacritic. Yeah, with Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, David Morst, Angelica Houston. So that's pretty okay. The Pledge, again, Jack Nicholson, Benicio Del Toro, P- Patricia Clarkson in 2001, 6.8. Metacritic of 71. And then Into the Wild with Emile Hirsch, 73 on Metacritic, oh, 8.1. Okay. Oh, IMDb. So, like, you know, he hasn't always made, like, great, great movies, but, like, in terms of the track record, at least three of those four pretty good yeah. both by in terms of popularity and in terms of critics he's competent then the last yeah. face 16 on metacritic 4.7 imdb so here's a couple things about this number one this uh competed for the palme d'or at con the response was so negative that people were booing while it was happening while the movie was playing <laughs> people were booing so that's number one it sounds like a wild scene at these at these uh Oh, yeah. I love how passionate they are. I also, yeah. you know, I've never Festivals. been to a movie in another country, but I hear they talk through that shit like crazy. Like, you know, like no one really cares. I feel like I've heard that's like in a very sort of American thing that you don't talk in a movie, but I don't know. So apparently this is the first one he wrote and directed. Is that what I heard? Yeah. No, yeah. he didn't write this. Oh, he didn't? No. So this is the wild thing. In 2004, Robin Wright, then Robin Wright Penn, hmm. had this idea for a movie. This was her passion project. This was her and passion project? This was Robin Wright's passion oh, project. Oh, so he just like swiped it from her? <laughs> she brought on Javier she Bardem, she brought in Sean Penn, and then the funding fell through, and so she gave up on it. So she was going to be Charlize, I take it. Which is weird, because it seems like Charlize is using her natural voice is that is that a trivia fact i think so yeah and she, i think she's speaking afrikaans in this movie for like, a, like at least the second time mm-hmm. uh. in her career anyway sean uh, sean penn and robin wright get divorced uh sean penn resurrects the film decides he's gonna become the director 
cast his then-girlfriend Charlize Theron <laughs> in the role that Robin Wright had wanted to play. This is amazing because, like, we never follow, like, their gossip no. or, or any. I had no idea they ever dated. <laughs> but if you'll remember, Battle in Seattle, directed by, or what? Then-boyfriend, yeah. Stuart Townsend, right? Exactly, yeah. So but she's sort of do like you remember a... in that movie, she is basically has a miscarriage on screen because she gets hit in the pregnant belly by a riotous cop. Like, what is the deal <laughs> with Charlize's boyfriends at the time putting her in movies in which she's in these toxic relationships? Yeah, I mean, she's got to do what Mila Jovovich did. Like, all of her boyfriends turned her into badass action heroes in her movies and, you know, <laughs> ended up marrying one that gave her the Resident Evil franchise or, like, turned her into, like, an icon and shit. Like, what is... This is so bizarre. I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's stunning. <laughs> I'm just I just blown away by that. Like just like this the second movie that she made like with a boyfriend and that the boyfriends were like total weirdos about their crusading on film about these topics and then they just sort of blow it with like the actual sort of uh like storyline Hollywood plot element and everything it's just really weird the incompetence like i'm just surprised like i just can't <laughs> i don't know it's been a tough series <laughs> so here are, imdb does not a lot of, does not have a lot of trivia there's four things one is like it's it's all like the, the, what i said about the robin right that's the only interesting thing on there so i went to the wiki i was like what is the deal with this movie so there's not much in the wiki but here are two quotes about the film like in from reviews hollywood reporter wrote, a backdrop of third-world atrocities, suffering, and merciless human rights violations serves as the canvas for a faux-profound Hollywood love story in Sean Penn's stunningly self-important but numbingly empty cocktail of romance and insulting refugee porn, no. The Last Face. Nails it. Which, wow. nails I don't it. think Woo! we need to say anything more. I think that pretty much was it. <laughs> I think I called it a pretentious endurance test on Letterbox. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is essentially help the kids, won't you? Commercial like the Sarah McLaughlin, right. but like minus Sarah McLaughlin, but with but, Red Hot Chili Peppers yes. in its place. Yes. <laughs> what the hell? Like Wait, I just no. Eddie Vedder, Mary J. Blige, and Suki Waterhouse. Where do they appear? I saw them in the very heavily featured in the credits, but I didn't hear them. Get out of here. They're in this movie somewhere, all three of those people? Those three names appeared in the opening credits as vocalists. I don't know, were they doing, like, the hard to hear? I mean, I don't know what, what this was. Maybe I didn't listen to the credits long enough. Maybe, Maybe it was like the end credit song or something they, they could have performed. I don't know. I just... By the end of this, I was like, uh, Sean Penn, why didn't you just make a Red Hot Chili Peppers documentary? Like, you clearly <laughs> have, like, a boner for that song so hard. Like, He I, thinks I, they're the coolest band in the world. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty cool, but... I just love the concept that, like, this this uh, this guy like Javier Bardem, who's, like, out there, you know, with his arms in, you know, like, HIV blood, right? Like, he's, like that's a plot point, remember? Like, that yeah. they might have AIDS? Like, why? But, like, just the idea that he's running around, like, listening listening to his iPod the entire time, like he's Baby Driver, like that fucking <laughs> killed me. I couldn't believe that. One of many parallels to The Room I noticed is I got the results of the test back. I definitely have AIDS. <laughs> yeah. That and the, the fucking sex scene, uh, which was just weird. I don't know. It was just <laughs> tonally not supposed to be there. The one part of this movie I wish was in another movie, which I actually, I wish it was in Sweet November, is the, when they're brushing their teeth before they kiss. This mm. is at least the third time that she's brushed her teeth in a movie. And every time that happens on screen, I feel it's like cage shaving. 
You know, yeah. like that's her thing. <laughs> she gotta have fresh breath to kiss someone. Maybe it's like in her rider, and they just keep writing it in. But this is like a goofy brush. Like she's like brushing her armpits, and like, ooh, look at me! I'm brushing my whole body with this. Like it just, it's. It's an interesting decision. Love has a way of making you forget what's out Love there. Love finds a way. Yeah, I mean, Love Sean Penn is just like, ah, I mean, why does this scene have to be in Who's Got Mail? Why can't it be in Atrocities in Another Country movie? Like, I don't get it. I'm going to do that. So, you know, either do that or get off my set. <laughs> it's a daring the... hybrid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually had a note here but, uh, because, like, the helicopter guy mentions Chili Pepper CDs early on. I was like, huh, that's a funny, weirdly specific character <laughs> moment. And then it came back, and it came back, and it came back again. That one, At least one of those Jesus comments was about that. Yeah, that helicopter pilot is not supposed to be in this movie. Just like his personality and, personality and attitude just was so... I don't know. It oh. just it it just seems so fake. Like I mean, granted, like I just feel like there's a certain style going on with everything else, and then he comes in and he just did not fit whatsoever. It took took me even further out of the movie. I wrote down a quote from him. He, it was in the early it was early in the movie. He's drunk. I mean, he's only early in the movie, and he's just like. This, he was dancing with this girl, and he says like they cut her from vagina to anus. She leaks oh. urine, but she's beautiful. Whew. Uh, yeah, shit. that's a thing. Like, that's not yeah. how you address this, Sean Penn, right? Like, <laughs> I know, I understand you want to get across the fact that, like, yeah, kids are strung up by their intestines out in the middle of the jungle and everything. But, like, you play this shit so casual and so nonchalant at times that it just feels, like, again, like like exploitation as opposed to, like, you know, important or poignant or you know purposeful even at times i mean my favorite thing about the wikipedia article is that there is a link at the bottom one of those like see also you know like articles about what we're talking about just white savior narrative in film oh yeah and it's just a list of all the different movies in which white people are the saviors of the world including such films as la la land where white guy saves jazz (laughs) yeah well i mean even all the way back to indie you know indiana jones is like probably one of the easiest examples if you need to like take a class or something but like yeah, I mean, like, it, it's not a great, it's not great whatsoever. But like, right? It's it's one. Of, it's there's a history of it in Hollywood. So I All mean, right. but it doesn't need to keep being perpetrated. Is the point? Nope, like, correct. especially in this day and age. This is one area I'm willing to give it some uh, slack. I mean, explain to me why it's not realistic. That I mean, Doctors Without Borders is a real thing, and it is often white people in those. Can we explain why it's especially heinous in this situation? I just think that it's not the fact that they're there, but it's the fact that, like, it's a love story while they're there. Mm. It's, like, white savior, but also, like, look at us, we're falling in love because we're such good people. Like, yeah. I think that's the bigger... You're right, like, that. this is the thing that happens that, you know, doctors from developed countries go to less developed countries and help out when they can, when they're able to, which is great. And that's what's happening here, and this is, you know, based on reality or based on real facts or based on real events or whatever. But the fact that it's a backdrop for a love story... Yeah. is Toned icky. I think it helps that they're not American characters, at least. Like, that's... I'll give him that that point. Like, I'm very glad that that's not in here at all. But I just feel like, yeah, it's the whole plot. You know what I mean? Like, it just... In contrast to the issue, it just doesn't feel right like it just but if i can push it a little bit i think the fact that it's a tone-deaf love story doesn't necessarily factor more into the white savior narrative i agree like la la land absolutely a white guy has no scent no no place in saving jazz but a medicine sans frontier (laughs) doctor does have a place in saving Mm. uh africans that's literally their place 
things? I think part of it for me may maybe could just be that it it's the focus. You know what I'm saying? Like it readjusts the entire view of the movie. So like we're more we're I feel like he wants us to be more concerned with whether or not they're going to make it as opposed to whether or not another child's going to be senselessly murdered, you know, for his hand or whatever whatever reason or something. I think that might be part of it is there's too many things we're supposed to be rooting for at once. I also think there's a problem that we don't really get to know any non-white character. Like they're mm-hmm. all just relegated to the background. That like, they're all you. just there as essentially props. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's scenes where, like, there's literally a body of dead black boys. Oh, God. And that's, Char- it's like, that's that there was... for Charlize to have her right. moment. You know what I mean? Like, it's these people are objects for Charlize and Javier Bardem, mostly Charlize, to react to. Like, they're there because look at the atrocities, look at the humanity, oh, the humanity. And it's they're there as nothing more than just things for Charlize and Javier Bardem to interact with and, like, frame this story around. Like, they have no weight. They have no, like, narrative thrust. I, I hear what you're I hear what you're getting at. Like, I feel like that, to me, was probably, like, the, the part of the movie that most that most worked for what I think it was trying to do, actually. But, yes, this movie, yeah. the opportunity that it misses, and it's major and it's early, is not having one of the refugees as a main character, as, like, a or audience surrogate of some type of something, like mm-hmm. someone we could follow into this world for a while before, you know, he kills himself instead of his own father or something. Then just imagine, like, the weight of that scene and how much stronger it would be to carry and stuff. So, like, yeah, I just feel like if they had pulled back more on this love story and made it less about love and more about, like, family or community or something, and that way Javier and Charlize could have helped, like, maybe a brother and sister or a mother and a child escape throughout the entire film or you know like in that yeah. way they could have I just feel like there's a very missed opportunity where this movie could have been good could have been children of men they could have had well, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it also felt strange at the end when Charlize is basically like the, the audience applauds for her oh at that at that speech thing at the gala oh my god and then and I know it's just sort of like it's it's honoring them or whatever then like the choir of African children sings <laughs> and it just feels like this is and again this is a you know, me looking at this movie as someone who didn't want to watch this, who didn't enjoy it, who's looking for things to nitpick. I understand that I'm sort of coming from that negative angle, but it feels like this is like a Sean Penn clap for me. Look at this movie that I just made, and now let let these people, let those people entertain us. It just yes. feels gross. He is his South Park interpretation. He they're a hundred percent on board. Yeah, they get him. That's what I mean by pretentious, because he in his, at the end of his own movie, he has a scene where he's clapping for himself. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thinking about that failure. in movies where, like, in movies where, like, there's an artist or something, and they're creating like the magnum opus of their lives. And most of the time, the strong decision is to not actually show it because it's it's such a, a fraught decision to show the audience, like, this is what I think a magnum opus looks like. And in this case, he went full into it. He said, "No, I'm going to show you this speech, and I think it's amazing, and everyone else thinks it's amazing, and it's perfect." Yeah, like I can <laughs> handle someone like Tarantino turning, having a character turn to the camera and going, "Like, I think this is my masterpiece." Well, you the vicious i was just thinking yeah thinking you know like because it's not there throughout the movie it's just yeah. like at the end of like a very good movie it's like a little blink, that like, too i think i just made a fucking great movie which by the way probably is best movie like inglorious bastards is incredible Love it. this yeah. does not deserve like an extended applause break at the end of the movie <laughs> to sean penn essentially i want to if we can pivot a little bit I, I you you said something earlier maybe think about something that i was thinking about a lot was the special effects in the set like i mean like was 
this actually done there? If not, I'm actually very impressed. Yeah, that kind of goes along just with the the whole thing that it, it looks really nice. Like everything feels like as bad as it is, it looks authentic. I, I agree with you oh, there, yeah. Zach. Like if this filming was locations: sh- Cape Town, South Africa, South Africa, yeah. and Geneva, Switzerland. So yeah. Okay. So, but it wasn't done in like an actual war zone, which I'm actually very impressed well, at. I mean, I was like thinking, what would be worse? Like the idea that some prop guy had to mill build a stack of, of rotting human bodies or uh, or that they've actually found one and used it in the film. Which, that if it's asking me these things, then damn, they, did, they put a lot of time, money, and effort into making it look and seem very real. Yeah, the one the one thing that um, my favorite stuff, or I guess not my favorite because I didn't really like like anything out of here, but the <laughs> stuff that I just feel worked best are when those like child soldiers come out of the forest dressed in like weird pajamas and masks and shit. Like, that is is oh, yeah. that that's just the idea of that is terrifying to me even though it's not exactly executed to a degree where I'm scared but like they just come out looking like purge participants and stuff yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and but they're coming out of a jungle not like a city street or a suburb is just something very jarring about that contrast there so I, I don't think I don't know if I want to credit Sean Penn for that because I feel like that is taken from like actual pictures or they researched a lot of stuff and but that just again goes along with credit him for the research yeah exactly that I scene give him was credit good. I think that due. one scene was chilling and effective and uh, you know even a stop clock's right right twice a day well I feel like there could have been more of that like even if Charlize is from South Africa like it feels like she returns home right like this is like she's where she was from there still should i think if that's the kind of thing you if that's the place you want to get to i feel like there should be more of that aside from just at the end where it's kind of like an uncomfortable fish out of water you know what i mean like it feels like the horror kind of comes out of nowhere toward the end Mm -hmm. and i agree with you guys that it works better both in like where she finds the stack of dead bodies and you know the one with no legs and like those purge people in the woods the kid getting you know shot because he whatever like that all works but i feel like it just sort of kind of comes out of nowhere in a way yeah yeah big i think that partially comes from its non-linear structure too the fact that we can yeah. even really get a grasp on exactly when things are happening necessarily because we just go from like harvier he's over here and then charlie's is over there and then there's a scene of them sort of like arguing and following each other but then they're meeting for the first time it's like wait a second like yeah. um i can't follow that and also the introduction to the atrocities at the same time like i just need it to be more basic it's probably non-linear because sean just he only wanted to show the scenes from their lives that were the most impactful and so he just went for these like really insane set pieces uh, instead of actually taking time to to develop characters and have downtime and tell like a more contained story I, I always think about like the first seasons of Game of Thrones and how they were so successful because for most of those episodes they were just kind of just traveling just learning growing uh, and it wasn't necessarily about the set pieces and yeah, I think in this case, he was just going for set pieces and not thinking about plot. Yeah, I think he might have been, it, it kind of feels like, um, like love story just works itself out. Like if I just say in love, like I could just have them do, you know, cutesy little things in their scenes and then get into arguments and like, there's nothing really to follow. You know what I'm saying? Like you just sort of, whatever you, you've seen a hundred love stories in a thousand movies. And so like they're going through one is what, it, you know what I'm saying? That's what it feels yeah. like. There's nothing really, it doesn't seem anything original to their story or I, I don't know, like um, yeah. a point to it even but but then again that's another failing of the film the idea that it's even focusing so much on that like you know show show them be having affection for each other or or whatever but but don't focus on that like focus on what's happening to the refugees like that's 
the story. Yeah. That's the that's what's compelling. That's what's interesting. But then that's also like mostly what's being ignored. And I think like he's saving those moments for the shock. And it's just like every every couple minutes, it's like okay, like pile of dead bodies. It's like dude. And then another like couple it's minutes, five and minutes, it's like time to scare the audience again. Yeah, and it's like okay, now C section in the woods. It's like God. It's like come on. Like you can't just like <laughs> blindside me with this shit in the, in a love story movie. Like it's just it's uh, emotional whiplash. Yes. It, yeah. It, and speaking of uh, the uh, the way that Charlie's goes from being completely justifiably pissed at Javier to suddenly being like googly eyes over him is so weird and so props to her for being able to pull it off but like it was not well, I actually the one thing I good acting bad writing yes there is some there are some especially Javier Bardem I have to say like there's just some like looks or little like ticks or moments that he does that I just lost it and one of them was after they deliver the baby in the woods and they're like kind of washing up they're just kind of staring at each other and he gets this look on his face and then he goes in to kiss her you know because you just yeah. and I believe in his eyes like he has this sense of we just shared this experience and like we should try to like embrace right now <laughs> but she kind of puts the brakes on that and everything but I just thought that was just like so natural in a weird way like it just felt yeah like i could see that mm-hmm. you know those moments are extremely few and far between like don't don't think i'm getting off and being like there's merit here or anything like that there isn't <laughs> but i just gotta say like as bad as it is bardem and and theron like our consummate professionals really trying to pull something off well and i'll even give it to sean i feel like i was saying this to to joey before and i was like i think sean probably as an actor knows how to work with actors as his strongest point as a director. That might be the mm-hmm. thing that he is legitimately good at here. All the other aspects of directing uh, may be a little uh, more slipshod with him. I'm sort of surprised that you both... I mean, I don't think they're necessarily bad, but I think that the there is a sense that Charlize and Javier Bardem are not good in this movie. Like, at least the other review of note on the Wikipedia article was from The Telegraph, uh, or though the Guardian said that they that Charlize and Javier Bardem give career worst performances uh, as Doctors Falling in Love. I so. don't think so. Not for Charlize. Like what what worked for me for her character was definitely her accent. Like the idea that I felt like I was finally hearing what she sounded like growing up or something <laughs> for real or whatever. Like even if she doesn't use her accent anymore in real life, like I feel like that was probably very authentic. And therefore, I just was more into what she was doing it just felt better for me uh and Javier Depardieu I mean I don't I don't I can't blame him at all I don't think he's ever done anything <laughs> bad so far I feel so bad thinking that no <laughs> that's a joke maybe but. they're yeah maybe they're their worst performances taken collectively as a whole but like this this is this factors in the script for sure I see them doing such emotional gymnastics around these really terrible situations and lines and sudden you know reversals of of feeling of intention uh, and i'm seeing them justify it and i'm seeing them doing their absolute goddamn best and and i'm absolutely just flabbergastedly impressed at their acting the act they're acting at the way that they've they've managed to almost salvage something unsalvageable i mean joey i still haven't seen the josh Brolin. Kate Winslet, he broke out of prison. Labor Day. Paid, baked him pies movie yet. Hey, Labor Mike, Day. Labor Day's coming up. There's <laughs> oh, no better shit. time to watch I know it. what I'm doing. But, like, I kind of, like, I kind of get it. It's, like, one of those movies. Like, it's, it's you know, like, it's just this sort of, like, forbidden love thing. And, like, if it was out on its own, like, 
on an island on a tropical island like it'd be fine you know yep. i'd be like great but it's not it's in the middle of like a war-torn country with like danger every at every turn and so it's just not conducive to the surroundings like i feel like this should be more of like a like a, an adventure action kind of jungle film, if anything, you know, if you wanted to mash that up with something, some kind of genre. I think a large part of it is also that they're in this dangerous place on purpose. I think I think there might be more room for kind of like a silly romance to grow if they're accidentally in a danger zone. I think mm-hmm. if they're, you know, if this is Jumanji and they're, I mean, obviously Jumanji is a different tone, but, you know, they find themselves in this jungle and they're trying to get out together and like literally getting out is their, is their only goal you know here they're there together and they actually supposedly have a higher a higher calling that they're there for you know Mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily about just getting home so that they can have their love story at home it's more complicated than that and yeah. So speaking of, uh, I just mentioned Kate Winslet, like, okay, so here's a scenario where, you know, it didn't work great, but it, it worked better. The movie she was in with Idris Elba, right, where they crash in the mountains. Mountain Between Us. Mountain Between Us, like, you know, so mild spoilers, but an actual relationship starts to forge between those characters. And like, that's a situation like you're describing. They're thrust into this danger zone. They are not intending to be put into danger, you know, and then it becomes sort of a survival thing and then you know helping each other and whatnot they form a bond and everything and yeah and like i could see that if that were this movie it working you know much better just this idea that like oh shit we were not supposed to come here but we've sort of taken maybe a couple wrong turns or signed a few of the wrong papers and we've just been like mixed up and dispatched into like you know the most dangerous parts of the world unintentionally because it feels in a way like she's home and i know that's a, a, a broad generalization of africa but it feels like she's more in her element than he is it's not like they're both fish out of water mm-hmm. and like zach said like you know they chose to be there it's just it's strange it's strange i just feel like the whole the whole tone of everything is just kind of not great but you know yeah. we've, said that, we've said that enough tone's bad one thing i did really like though it's sort of westworldy in this way is that i liked i mean we make fun of the chili pepper song over and over again but han zimmer who did the score apparently kind of covers the chili peppers and it sort of transitions yeah. for whatever reason into the actual song that made me laugh out loud Ramon jawaji i think whatever how do yeah. you pronounce the name of the, the composer on westworld he does this beautiful thing where he covers like radiohead songs and you know like rolling yeah. stone songs like all these different songs you know nirvana songs and like it's just so beautiful like these like piano these string string versions of these songs and that I was like you know for this like through line of this one Chili Pepper song for whatever reason okay but then like they have like this other version of it I'm like oh this is cool and then like before I'm able to even like enjoy it begin to enjoy it they're like hey just kidding here's the actual CD version (laughs) yeah no that was that was a nice little touch it's too bad that they you know like sometimes what what movies I actually quite like it in certain movies and like Rodriguez did this for Kill Bill 2 for Tarantino is like he basically chose a song composed the score out of sort of alternate versions of that song so like he'll take like a part of the melody and expand it or he'll take you know what I'm saying like a riff and, and reuse that and stuff and he'll express it in different styles and stuff and so I would have really liked just like a whole bunch of different versions of that Chili Pepper song throughout you know like they get into an elevator and you hear it in 
in elevator music style. Like, you know, they're in a bar and you hear the actual version instead of just his iPod or something. But yeah, I, I always like that. I think that's a really cool way to go. It's just too bad they should have gone a little further with that. I mean, that Chili Pepper song, how many times does it play? It's like the freaking... Sh- At least sil- four. It's like the Silver Shamrock commercial. Like, it's just <laughs> at every turn, that fucking song. I do desperately want to find out about that, uh, the Mary J. Blige connection and Eddie Vedder. <laughs> I almost want to, like, pause this and find out. Well, I know, didn't Eddie Vedder write a song for the Emil Hirsch movie? The, it was, which one was that? Into the Woods or something? Into so, the Wild. Into the Wild. Into the Wild. <laughs> so maybe it was just like a, a thanks to Eddie Vedder for moral It support. specifically said vocals provided by, I think. Couldn't yeah, tell you. It was super weird. I don't think I have any other notes to say about anything else to say about this movie. Either of you have anything else you want to say before we uh, sort of do, a, do our last few things and wrap up? Fucking candle balloons. I wrote that down. Uh, those are overused as such like a visual motif in if you if you're like doing a movie and it takes place in like a third world country and you want to show how the children can still have joy you have them launching candle balloons uh and i'm just so sick of it anyone else sure i mean i i don't need to i don't need to see it do you know what i'm talking about yes no i do and they did it twice in this movie well the kids are really happy zach yeah i guess they just love their lives i wrote dr love jesus yeah, I think we've pretty much hit everything. This movie just, it, it feels like it demands your rapt attention and gives very little very little in return. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed at one point in this movie, there's a face waterfall. Ooh, I, I, I missed that. If you caught that. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you for missing it, but it was, there's one in here. I think Charlize puts her hand on his face and like leaves it there for a while and then just sort of like drags it down his face as a very as exciting you do for a face waterfall oh there was that really bad voiceover stuff too and everything and then i guess at the end it was revealed that was her speech and i was just like lame that kind of stuff works really well when like you know christopher nolan does it and everything kind of like hiding the uh voiceover you know within the movie somehow and then like revealing it to be someone reading a diary or whatever like but here i was just like oof it is not great at one point oh when charlize was first on screen i thought she looked just like nicole kidman i was like holy shit like oh my god like is that nicole kidman (laughs) and then she kind of like started moving and talking and stuff i was like oh no 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 it's it's charlize but um i was sort of like blown away like i want now i want to see them play sisters dysfunctional sisters maybe i don't know like something cool with the two of them though but that now that's stuck in my head like now i need to see the two of them in a movie together so great <laughs> i like to hear we are 41 episodes in and you not even be able to recognize the actors we've been following for like a year now but <laughs> i'm into it it's like when you say a word so many times it loses all meaning yeah, yeah. all right so uh our first segment we have a new game zach since last time you were on uh it's called stan lee yourself which I don't even know if we should play for this movie because... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, what else are we going to do? I think I know what you're talking about and that it might be inappropriate, but we should try anyway. Okay, so it, the, the idea behind Stanley yourself is if you want a walk-on role into the last face, how would you be in the movie? So you can either like replace a character or just sort of add to a scene, or what would you do? How would you become a part of the last face? Zach, do you have right. any ideas? Anything? Yeah, like uh, so that scene where the helicopter pilot's talking to to them about the woman who's been ripped horribly, but she's still beautiful. The camera just pans slightly to right, and I'm there. And I'm like one of the other guys. I'm just like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's, that's all. That's all yeah, that's that basically <laughs> your cameo. I love it. Mike, what do you have? Do you have any ideas? How would you be a part of the last phase? Um. Oh man. Okay. So I think. 
I'm going to put myself at the gala, the gala, the gala event that Charlize sure, okay. is attending. And um, I just kind of walk up to her after and I say, excuse me, miss, but your car has been towed. Uh, and she just like walks right past without like even hearing what I said. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, okay. Because just so she's so lost in, in thought and, and stuff and everything. But like, yeah, her car was towed while she was on stage. <laughs> so I'm just going to, that's my little corner of this universe. What kind of car do you think she drives? Um, I think in this movie, maybe like um, an Explorer or something. No, it's got to be like, it's got to be like an environmentally friendly car, I think. Oh, good call. No, like no, a, she's like total a hypocrite drives a Land Rover. Oh, yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she probably actually legitimately uses it. She probably goes out to like rough places that needs like an actual Yeah, like car. jungle. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe she's got like a city Prius or something or a Tesla. Maybe. Know. Smart car. All I know is that it got towed. <laughs> There's one scene in this movie where Charlize and Javier Bardem have a fight in an apartment and she walks out, gets on an elevator, leaves the building, he races down the stairs. I'm going to be in this movie, the elevator door is open for her to get on and I'm just there and I just see them <laughs> shouting at each other and I just hit the closed door button and I just leave and just wait for the next elevator. Perfect. <laughs> or you could be on the elevator and have to just deal with her on the whole ride down. Yeah, it's like a metaphor. I don't want any part of this. I'm just leaving. I'm able to walk out I'm not part of this. See, it's not so bad. Much like Charlie's does to MedSense on Frontier. Yeah, exactly. We have an email address here on the show, watch at cageclub.me. No emails left. We only have a handful more episodes, so if you want to write into the show, I mean, we'll, still, we'll keep doing the show after the first season ends, or the first initial run ends. You know, whenever Charlie's has a new movie come out, we will watch it and talk about it. But... Email us, watch at cageclub.me. Did you watch this movie? It's available. If you live in the U.S., it's available to watch for free on Amazon Prime Video. So don't do that, but it's there <laughs> if you want it. Next week's movie is Kubo and the Two Strings, which is great. Yes. Then Atomic Blonde, which is great. Then Fate yeah. of the Furious, which I don't like, but I also mm. have a Fast and the Furious podcast. So that's three in a row. And then there's Gringo and Tully, which are movies from this year that I haven't seen yet. Because I knew we were doing this, and I haven't yep. seen those. So I'm, I'm excited for the next five. Like It's, yeah. it's going to be good. And then, you know, it's it's wrap-up and exciting stuff from there on out. So we did it, Mike. We are through Ooh, man. the worst. Um, unless Ringo or Tully are really bad. I don't know that either are, like, great. Like, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be in the pantheon of her best movies. I think Tully's played a good role. Like, I haven't heard a ton about either. I just know that nothing will be as bad as this. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, I... I I heard Tully got great reviews. I heard Gringo was, I mean, that was out of theaters around me for, it was here for like a week, but I don't let that, you know, determine whether or not, I mean, it's a good movie or not. I mean, uh, Sorry to Bother You was in and out of theaters in a week near me and that movie's incredible. So like, you can't go by that, but I will say like, it can't, it can't possibly get worse than I mean we have been to places I never even imagined we would reach <laughs> real rough it's been real I mean like look there are actual atrocities in this world like this movie captures but like what we went through was not good <laughs> no, no 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 by no means and like it was very challenging and so I appreciate everyone who's been listening and like going along with us to this because it's been a it's been a challenge for me it's been hard it's this I feel like I'm not always like my best most articulate self on these shows because these are can be very difficult films to review it's it's not great and our next two projects that we're going to do together alternating are chosen by the fact that we don't want to watch bad movies yes um there's going to be stinkers in there probably but Mm -hmm. for the most part better than not we've sort of vetted 
them out to make sure that we're going to get, you know, our oh. time's worth out of this one and the stuff that, like, we're God really looking forward to. It. So. I look forward to it. <laughs> so for the Watch the Throne Awards, the black and chrome wallpapers, officially said on that name, or teeth nice. or whatever, but wallpapers, I think. Uh, maybe teeth. I like the idea of chrome teeth. You know, we like Charlize with a grill. Okay. All but. right. Well, that's <laughs> the black and chrome teeth, the black and chrome teeth. Uh, last face, worst film. Yeah. I mean, yep. it won. It wins. No, I'm just, I'm, I mean, we're still going to go through the motions. We're going to have the award show, but I mean, come on. you know. I don't want to nominate her for worst role, even though that one Guardian review said that. I'm going to say most wasted performance just because there's nothing of note. Like, I feel like this movie just wastes her time. Because her performance, I, I think, was fine, but it was wasted by being in a bad movie. Yeah. Worst role, I'd say, was Sleepwalking, I think. Yeah. I thought I don't think she did a good job in that. We have that nominated for worst role. So. Good. The thing that just bums me out the most about this role is like I finally get to hear that accent and it's like kind of wasted. Like yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> like I just wish she was in a comedy with that voice or something. And this is like the worst kind of bad movie because it wasn't even fun bad. I mean I feel like Sleepwalking I got a good few good laughs out of or at least enjoyed kind of picking it apart. This one was just like how much time. Do Sleepwalking we have by comparison, Zach, not that bad to most of her movies because like. She's not in it a lot, but I feel like the brother and daughter stuff is kind of okay for a lot of it. So, in terms of this podcast, yeah, I mean, in terms of this podcast, (laughs) sleepwalking. Oh, I have a thirty-five. It's pretty low on my list. I guess I forgot how much I hated that movie. It's not good. You you literally blocked it out of your mind. I did. I really did. I think this is going to be a category we get rid of, Mike. But do you want to nominate this for best or most dressed down appearance? Do you want to just nix that category now? I don't know. Yeah, maybe just. I don't think because we're gonna so. we're gonna cut it down between shows anyway. So let's just let's just cut it down now. Save ourselves. Sorry, Tobin. I like the idea. It's just we have too many awards. She's also a, like most dressed up in one of the scenes. So yeah, and I also don't, right. I don't feel like she's that dressed down in this movie. Uh, I'm going to nominate best accent voice. She spoke Afrikaans in 15 mm-hmm. minutes when she was the the maiden. The Madam of that brothel. So we're going to do that. But she speaks it much more here. Yes. Worst love story, Ren and Miguel Leon. What's the competition? I mean, there's not much competition, right? Oh, no. Worst love story. We got a bunch. We got the Curse of Jane Scorpion, Devil's Advocate, Mighty Joe Young, Celebrity, Two Days in the Valley, Young Adult, Arrested Development, Reindeer Games, Life and Death of Peter Sellers, Sweet November, and this movie. Not her and Joe from Mighty Joe Young. Is that? No, her and Greg. Oh, Bill Paxton. Her and Joe are best love story. We have that. We only have three nominees there. Okay. I don't. All right. I hear you. I think we might. Uh, we'll I just, whittle it down. Yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, that's off air. <laughs> Anybody we want to nominate for best non-Charlie's death? Like Javier Bardem dies off screen. That's so dumb. Not a good death. Not a good death. Anything else that was? I mean, I don't think so. Right. As far as like death and stuff like no i don't really want to go there with this movie <laughs> best line best freak out best cinematography i'm not going to nominate it for best song we got to oh, nominate absolutely other side by the red hot chili peppers take me on the other side uh, <laughs> you got that there i did two sort i of used to like that song i used to like that now i can't like it anymore and that's very sad this movie took something from me. <laughs> I like it a little less, but I could still listen to it, I think. I don't know if you guys caught this way earlier in the podcast. I tried to do like a Sean Penn impression. But Did you? Good luck when you're listening back and trying to hear that. Yeah. Um, it's like I halfway between Eastwood and Elvis, I feel. It's just like, I All right. take All right. on your other side. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do we nominate either best or worst non-Charlize role? 
I don't think so. Like, yeah. I think Javier Bardem is fine, but not worth nominating. That's also a stat category. I think we're otherwise pretty good. I think we got worst film, most wasted performance, best accent, worst love story, best song. Sound good? Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Zach. This is actually truly finally a season wrap for you here on Watch the Throne. You will be back. I don't think you know. Have we told you? The next podcast we're doing? No. Well, check your email in the coming weeks because I'm going to sign out. Uh, we're not starting until January, but okay. you know, we're not releasing until January. But we are so antsy, we're going to send out sign-up sheets in the next couple of weeks. So, Can't stay wait. for that. And you, listening to this podcast, we will announce to you on November 2nd what we are doing. So, a little bit under two months from now, you will know who we're following up Charlize Theron with. Not one, but two different people that were doing the same thing we did with Charlize and Cage and Keanu and Shia, one at a time through their career. I wanted so. to give a hint, but it would give it away. Well, I'll catch you on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zach. So for all things Watch the Throne, including Zach's three other episodes, including the great, the masterpiece, The Yards, which is still, as of now, in my top five Charlize Theron movies, the you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, watch at cageclub.me. Let us email you. Go to cageclub.me slash newsletter to sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'll deliver monthly digests on the first of the month, every month, right to your inbox. So check that out. You missed it for September, but October, not that far away. So, you know, go check that out. Cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod, Twitter and Instagram. Follow us, say hi, email us, watch at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Zach Dazano. We'll see you next time for Kubo and the Two Strings, a great, great, great movie right here on Watch the Throne. How long, how long will I slide or separate my side? I don't.